Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. I want to speak this morning on something I started last week. It's a theme that I believe the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart. I'm going to um, interject this throughout the next several months. I'm not going to preach on it every week, but I'll be interjecting things. It's time for the new wine. It's time for the new wine. Time for the new wine. What do I mean by that? What does God mean by that? I'll try to explain it today. But before I do, I want to tell you a story. A friend of mine, Reverend Charles Hackett, I uh, got to know Brother Hackett uh, several years ago, he was at the general council. When I got to know him, he spoke at my church uh, back in Kansas. But I uh, found out that uh, Brother Hackett um, is from Indiana, West Lafayette. He was there pastoring a small church, and something happened very unexpectedly in his church in a Sunday night service. He shared the story at my former church. I wish I still had a tape of it. I do not, and I actually meant tape because that was in the tape days, uh, for those of you who don't remember those cassettes. And he called it the Hippie Revival. It was in the early 1970s, and he recalls a Sunday evening service. Small group of people had gathered at the church. The church was quite small in number, and they were having their normal Sunday night service when in through the back doors came, I believe it was three or four very drunk hippies. Very drunk hippies. They came in. They sort of sat down. It was obvious that they were intoxicated. It was obvious that they weren't necessarily church folks. Now, if they had church background, I don't recall from the story, but they weren't church folks. And so this church is trying to figure out what they're going to do on a Sunday night service with a number of drunk hippies. Well, God had plans for those drunk hippies through that church. And through a series of circumstances in that service, they began to pray for those young men. I believe it was two men and a couple of women. And God came in a very special manifestation. God does a lot of different things. If, if you're new to the faith, uh, the things that God did in the Bible, he can still do today and other things. So what does he do? All of a sudden, those four drunk hippies get touched by God, hit by God, sobered up instantly. They came in drunk, walked out sober. God's spirit, God's power moved. They got saved that night. And if I remember correctly, they also got filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit. All on a Sunday night, all in a service, nobody expected really anybody who was a guest to show up. And it's the beginning of what Brother Hackett referred to as the hippie revival. Well, these um, now saved hippies, had a lot of friends also who needed Jesus, who needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they said, uh, we'd like to invite our friends over to, to our house, maybe, maybe uh, make some coffee cake, have some coffee or some tea. Uh, uh, would, you, would you come and uh, maybe just talk a little bit about Jesus? 
Brother Hackett said, okay. I mean, he had never done that before. So I believe it was on a Tuesday night. He, go, he and his wife go over to this, one of the couple's houses, and they find kind of a living room full of people. And so the cake is served, and the coffee is served, and the tea is served, and people are kind of sitting around in the living room kind of elbow to elbow. And Pastor Charles shares about Jesus, shares about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, if you want to call it an invitation, I suppose it was an invitation. An invitation was given for anybody that wanted to maybe receive Jesus or receive the Holy Spirit to come to the center of the living room and people were going to lay hands on them. People gave their heart to Jesus. And those who are interested in this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, with just maybe a minute or two of prayer, boom, the Holy Spirit would fall upon them. They would begin to speak in tongues, the initial evidence of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And this is the, this is the whole point of this story. I remember Brother Hackett telling me, he said, I'm watching this take place, and I'm thinking to myself, they can't receive the Holy Spirit that way. They haven't tarried at the altars. Now, some of you who have been around uh, the assemblies or Pentecostal churches will recall the times when, when people wanted to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they were encouraged to come forward, and they did what's tarried. That means they waited. Because in the book of Acts, it took 10 days. They were waiting in the upper room, so they would tarry. That's just a, an old word. They would wait and wait, and some would wait for a few minutes. Some would wait for several hours. Some would come back and wait. But these individuals were receiving like after two minutes in the middle of a living room with people laying hands on them while other people were still finishing up their coffee. That's not the way it works is what his mind was saying. But that was the way that God was working. Pastor Charles and his team and that congregation built a great church out of a revival move that took place in the 70s. He and his congregation, his wife and his leadership were willing to be new wineskins, receiving the new wine of God so that God could reach West Lafayette and beyond with the power of the Holy Spirit. Did it come with opposition? Yes, it did. Did everything go well? No, it didn't. But Pastor uh, Charles Hackett is one of my mentors of a man who was willing to allow God to rework him and his way of doing things so that God could move and touch people. They had been doing things the same way, week in and week out. And God used some of those things, but God had different plans for reaching at that time. And so God found a church and a man that were willing to receive his new wine. As I said, I believe it's time for the new wine. Here's one of my key statements. Uh, God is going to and is already pouring out new wine on his church. I believe the Holy Spirit is currently moving. 
I believe that God is already doing some new things throughout his church in those places where individuals are open and ready to receive. I pray this will be one of those places. Are you as an individual and are we as a congregation ready and able to receive this new wine? Are you as an individual and are we as a congregation able and ready to receive this new wine? Now, some of you may be thinking, uh, you know, what does this mean, Pastor, this new wine? What does this mean to me personally? If you're new in the faith, you're thinking new wine, move of God, baptism in the Holy Spirit, the tongues, things, I've heard about that before. What does this all have to do with me? And I hope that as you spend time here at Columbus First Assembly, as I teach, not just on this topic, but others, you'll begin to understand what this new wine might be for you. Because that's my task. My task is to help communicate the heart of God to each one of us, whether you're here or whether you're online. Jesus spoke about the way God moves when he moves in new ways as God pouring new wine into new wineskins. This is just one of the pictures. This is, what, this is a, a visual of what God does. He's putting new wine into new wineskins. And this symbol would have been understandable to his listeners back then, but this illustration and parable needs some explaining and context for us, so let me review a little bit from last week, and then we're going to move on. First of all, what is a wineskin? This is what many people picture when they think of a wineskin. This is a modern uh, leather pouch that's able to carry liquid, whether it be wine or water or who knows what other people might put in there, maybe chicken soup. But it's a, it's a way of carrying liquid with you or storing liquid. That's what many of us would picture. That is not what the Jewish audience of Jesus' day would have pictured when he talked about new wineskins. This is what they would have seen. The wineskins of those days was the skin of an animal, probably a sheep or a goat. It was cleaned. The head and the tail were removed. The feet were cut off at the hooves, and, and then the legs were tied. It was cleaned and prepared, and then it was stitched together in preparation for holding the wine, holding this liquid. It was a very soft and supple and flexible leather, and it, it could withstand the pressure of fermentation because new wine was still fermenting wine. It was still producing the gases that come when fermentation is going on. And so a wineskin, a new wineskin, something that was going to hold new wine, needed to be able to expand and contract so that it didn't break with this very potent wine still fermenting in it. Now, with this picture in mind, let's take a look at what Jesus said in Luke's gospel, the uh, fifth chapter, only verses 37 through 39 today. And no one, notice it says no one. No one puts new wine into an old wineskin. For the new wine would burst the wineskin, spilling the wine and ruining the skin. An old wineskin was one that had been used previously. After all the wine had been used from the wineskin, it was just tossed aside, it was put into storage, and it would dry. The leather would dry, the stitching would dry, it would become stiff 
and it would become brittle, and it would not be able to withstand new wine being put in it. No one in that audience would have missed what Jesus was talking about in the wineskin because they had all used them, or if they hadn't used them, they had seen them. A wineskin that was used up becomes uh, flat, dried out, brittle, and it's just set aside. Verse 38, new wine must, must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. So what is Jesus getting at? I'm not able to get into the whole context of this passage. I did last week, so please, if you were not here or did not uh, watch last week, please watch last week's. I talk a lot more about the historical context and what Jesus was saying. But I have to, you have to understand what he was communicating to that audience so that we can then contextualize it for what God would still be communicating to us today with this concept of new wine and new wineskins, okay? What Jesus was saying when he spoke this parable in the hearing of the Jewish audience there was radical. He was getting them ready because he was saying God is going to be sending new wine to the world, They didn't understand exactly how it was going to come, but he was talking about this. The new wine was going to come through Jesus because there was going to be a new covenant. That's why as we read our Bibles in the New Testament, it will speak of the old covenant. We now call it the Old Testament. That was the previous way that God had worked with people. But there is now a new covenant. That was coming. There was going to be the kingdom of God coming to earth, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, no longer a right relationship through God, through keeping the law. It was now receiving Jesus and having a personal relationship with him. And this is where it got really sticky after Jesus' resurrection and the church began to expand. Because not only was Jesus coming, he he fulfilled the requirements of the law and therefore made the old covenant obsolete. He made the temple sacrificial system obsolete. No longer were sacrifices going to be required at the altar for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice, died for everyone. The temple itself The high place of Jewish worship was obsolete with Jesus' death and resurrection. And this new wine could not go into the old wineskin because the wineskin couldn't handle it. This is what a, uh, a Jewish commentator says about this. His name is David Stern. He wrote something called the Jewish New Testament Commentary. He says this, if one tries to put new wine messianic faith into old wineskins, traditional Judaism, the faith is lost and Judaism is ruined. Messianic living cannot be poured into old religious forms if they remain rigid. The new wine of the new covenant of the new way that God was uh, working with people, receiving people, saving people through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith, no longer by keeping the law to be right with God, could not be put into traditional Judaism. It couldn't handle it. 
So messianic faith amongst the Jews and then the Gentiles were brought in. And this that we call the church, the Bible calls it the ecclesia, which is the gathering together of the called out ones, began. When you read the book of Acts and you find that there were issues amongst the Jews and the, the, those Jesus followers or even the Jesus following Jews and Gentiles, how do we blend all of this together? It was the beginning of figuring out new wine in new wineskins. That's what's taking place. So, in that context, meaning that God cannot pour new wine into, as um, uh, David Stern says, old religious forms, if they remain rigid, what does that mean to us today? So I'm going to review two points from last week, and then we're going to move forward. Number one, when God moves in new ways, he cannot pour this newness into old religious forms if they remain rigid. The wine is lost and the wineskin is destroyed. So since God cannot pour this new wine into old religious forms, he's looking for people in churches, people and churches that are not rigid. Number two, I cannot receive what is new as long as I'm holding on to what is old. I cannot receive what is new as long as I'm holding on to what is old. I speak this to those of us who have walked with God for a while. I speak this to those of us who have experienced the move of God somehow in our past. We've been touched by God. We we're a part of a church that was seeing a move of God. We may have been part of a church similar to Pastor Charles' church back in West Lafayette that had the hippie revival where God was moving and manifesting himself in ways that were amazing. Men and women getting saved by the dozen people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, God working in powerful ways. We've been part of that. What, I'm, what, I, what I want to encourage or maybe challenge you is if you've experienced that, it was real. But be careful because how God moved before is very possibly not how he's going to move again. Two um, statements that I believe God placed in my heart regarding this. Number one, some people believe that the way they have seen it done is the only way God does it. Some people believe that the way they have seen it done is the only way God does it. And if you've been around folks, they'll come up to you and they will refer to, oh, I remember what it was like when, and man, if only we would do this. And that may be what God wants, but very often it is not. It is not. Reverend Hackett and his congregation had to work through this because God was not saving people and baptizing them in the Holy Spirit in the way he had done before in their Assembly of God church and in other Assemblies of God churches. Do you know some people left because of what was going on in his church? Some people left. They said, no, this is, this is not right. It has to be done this way. You can't be doing that. This is how it needs to be done. And Brother Hackett even confided when we were talking about these things, that there were even some Assemblies of God churches that were highly critical of what he and his congregation were doing back then. Because, no, that's not how we do it. Some people believe that the way they have seen it done is the only way God does it, too. Some people are living on, some people are living on or living for a memory. Some people are living on and living for 
a memory. There are people over the years who have come through churches that I have pastored, and they're looking for an experience or an atmosphere they once had or they once experienced. They are looking for it to happen like they remembered. I say they're living on or living for a memory. Uh, one, one man that I remembered the conversations that I had with him many years ago um, visited with me on more than one occasion. And he would say, oh, I remember the Jericho marches. Anybody know what I'm talking about when we're saying Jericho march? Can't just see a show of hands. How many of you know what a Jericho march is? Okay, for the rest of you, a Jericho march took place when people were in a service and the atmosphere was very emotionally charged. And you know what happened in, in, in when uh, Jericho, the nation of Israel, walked around Jericho. Why? For the walls to come down. Remember, we've been singing about, through that song about the Father's house, that uh, Jericho walls are shaking. Well, what they would do is, and I can't do it and stay on camera because they won't be able to follow me, but they would get up and the whole congregation would go to the edges. Sometimes they'd go outside. Most of the time it was inside. And they would begin to march around their sanctuary. They would begin to shout. They would begin to praise. They would begin to believe that God was going to be causing the walls, whatever walls were blocking, walls of oppression, walls of the enemy to come tumbling down. And there were times when those Jericho marches would take place and God would show up in powerful ways. People would have things broken off of them. Chains would fall off. He went, and I remember the Jericho marches. He said, I remember people spending hours at the altar. They were in no hurry to go home. They'd stay as long as necessary, waiting for God to touch them. I remember when we would sing and sing and sing and sing, and then God would give a word of prophecy to my wife, and she would deliver this word of prophecy. In almost every conversation I had with this gentleman, he would close sharing about what had happened in the past, the things that he longed for. He would close with saying this, I'm praying for God to do it again. I'm praying for God to do it again. I'm looking for God to do it again. What he was saying is he wasn't praying for God to move again. That's a good prayer. He wasn't praying for God to show up again. That's a good prayer. He wasn't praying for God to send new wine again. He was praying, I want God to do that again. That's what we have to be careful of. God wants us to pray for a move of God. God wants us to pray as Sherry did for revival. But I'll tell you, I've studied revivals and every single one that I've studied looked different than the other ones. When people say I'm praying for revival and they have an idea, are you praying for the Jonathan Edwards type of revival? Are you praying for the Billy Graham type of revival? Are you praying for the Azusa Street type of revival? What kind of revival are you praying for? Because we all have a picture in our mind. I'm just praying for revival. And what I'm saying is, God, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I just want to be able to recognize it when it comes. Because the results of revival don't change. The results are souls saved. The results are families blended. The results are chains of bondage falling off. The results are people being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being transformed by the power of God. That 
doesn't change how it happens, tearing at the altars, or sitting in a living room eating coffee cake and drinking coffee. It doesn't matter. Are the results there? So, and I don't want to in any way for this individual or any one of us state that what did happen wasn't real. It was. It was real. I've been in services where God has moved. I've been a part of churches where God was doing these type of things. It was real. But it was almost as if the season ended and God began to shift and do something else. Are we willing to shift? What you experienced, what this man has experienced was real. But it was. That's a word I have highlighted in my notes. It was. W-A-S. Now, that which was is very possibly old wine. Okay, so let me give you some good news today. Let me give you some good news today. Going back to the first statement in your notes. When God moves in new ways, he cannot pour his, this newness into old religious forms if they remain rigid. And if you've got a pen, circle that word if. If they remain rigid. Because that's the key word. You may have been walking with God for years. You may have had experience. You may have experienced powerful moves of God. But you and I don't have to be rigid. We can become soft and pliable again. Here's something that unfortunately our English language does not capture that the Greek does. Jesus chose his words very carefully in the illustration of new wine and new wineskins. And there is something that he wanted to communicate. Jesus used different words for new when referring to new wine and new wineskins. In your notes and coming up on the screen, the word new for new wine is the Greek word neos. New for new wine is the Greek word neos. This word means new in respect to time. The wine is new. It was from a recent harvest. It was still fermenting. This was not two harvests ago wine. This was not four harvests ago wine. This was this harvest's wine. It is new. It is neos new. So number three in your notes, new wine is new in respect to time or it is something brand new. When Jesus spoke about the new wine as a symbol of God moving on the earth, he's saying he's doing it in a new way. This is brand new. Certainly it's still wine. Certainly it's still made of grapes. Certainly it's going to be similar to other wine, but this is this move of God. This is this newness of God. It is naos. But then this wine has to be poured into something. Vessels, new wineskins. The vessels, of course, in our day and age are people and churches. He wants to pour it into you and me. We're the wineskins, but here's the question. Are we new wineskins? And you can say, well, no, 
I can't say I'm a new wineskin because I've been a Christian for 25 years or I've been a Christian for 30 years or I've been a Christian for 10 years. I'm not a new wineskin. Yes, you can be. Because Jesus did not say that new wine is poured into naos wineskins. Number four, the new that Jesus used about the wineskins is a totally different Greek word. It is kainos. Kainos. Kainos does not mean new in respect to time. It means new in respect to freshness or refreshed and restored. Yes, it can be in respect to time, but it also has a much broader meaning. So number four in your notes, new wineskins are fresh and never used. That would be somebody who's recently come to the Lord, someone who has not yet experienced the move of God. You are new. You are kainos because you're new in the faith. But new wineskins are fresh and never used or renewed, refreshed, and restored to service. Let me explain. The first we talked about, new and never used. This kind of wineskin was from a recently killed sheep or goat. It went through the process of cleaning and being stitched together and prepared for liquid. Very flexible, not rigid. New believers are oftentimes very flexible. Remember the hippie revival? Those new young people, the ones that got sobered up in the middle of a worship service, came in, drunk, went out, sober, saved, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. They didn't have any preconceived notions as to how God was going to move. They didn't know that God could sober them up. They didn't know that God could baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Maybe they had a little background in it, but anyhow, they walked into an Assemblies of God church on a Sunday night as drunk hippies and walked out as saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit hippies. They were fresh. They were new. They didn't have preconceived notions yet. That's one type of wineskin. The one that's new. If you're new to faith in Jesus, this is referring to you. But the second kind of kanas, new wineskin, was one that had been previously used. It is now empty. It has dried out. It has become stiff and rigid because all the wine has been used up. It's been set aside. One, um, uh, as I was studying, one historian commentator about this passage had said, very often in homes, you could see outside of the homes, the wineskins stacked up that they had gone through. They were just stacked outside the home. They were stacked, ready to be refreshed and renewed for the next harvest. And that can be you, and that can be I, me. It's a kind of wineskin most of us are. We've walked with God for a period of time. We've experienced him in the past. But the old wine is gone. It's time for the new wine. If new wine was put into us when we're still dried out, stiff, and rigid, the carbon dioxide gases as the fermentation take place, would cause it to crack, would cause it to break, and the owner would lose all of the wine and also lose any future use of that wineskin. But an old wineskin can be renewed, refreshed, and restored to service. Its useful qualities are renewed. So let me tell you naturally how they would take 
one of these old wineskins that are up against the side of the house. Grape harvest is close. They're going to start harvesting grapes. They're going to start crushing them. They're going to start preparing them for wine. They've got to store this wine someplace. They've got some new wineskins that have been made. So they would go and they would take these dried, stiff wineskins. And the first thing they would do is they would soak them for a period of time in water. They would soak them, allowing the water to begin to work into that leather. But then they would pour on and massage in olive oil. They would get the oil on the skin, and they would massage it, and they would work it, and they would work it, and they would work it, until the leather began to restore and to become flexible and pliable and soft again, until that leather was ready for this new batch of wine to be poured into it. That vineyard owner or that farmer did not want to lose one wineskin of wine. These, that's precious to them. This is what they drank on a daily basis. It was a way that water was kept um, bacteria-free from the fermenting process. It was used in celebrations. It was used virtually daily in the home. They probably drank more wine than they did water because the wine was actually purer than the water that they would get unless it was coming from a, a clean spring or, or a good cistern. This wine was precious. They didn't want to lose the skin of wine, and so they would work that old wine skin until it was ready. From a spiritual standpoint, being made fresh for those of us that have held the new wine before and now it's gone and we're dry and possibly rigid and stiff. From a spiritual standpoint, being made fresh will require us to allow, it's a key word, allow the Holy Spirit to work on us to wash and to massage us. We must allow the Holy Spirit to soften us and to expose places where we are rigid and stiff. And you might say, oh, Pastor, I'm not rigid and stiff. I'm just ready and open. I'm going to tell you, most of us have our places of rigidity and stiffness. Even I, as a pastor, from time to time, have places of rigidity and stiffness. You want to do what? No, we don't do I don't. No, not that way. Service has to go this way. Even recently, I felt the Holy Spirit because I've been praying for myself. I, I want new wine. And he just pointed out a couple things. He says, Rick, just let that happen. Allow that. Encourage that. So one of my questions is, are you willing to ask him to do that in your life? Are you willing to ask him to soften you? Are you willing to ask him to expose places where you're stiff and rigid? And then are you willing to allow him to massage you? I don't know if any of you have actually had a professional massage or if you've gone to physical therapy where massage was part of it. I'm, I'm working with a chiropractor right now to work on an issue in my neck. And um, when he gets in there, it's not pleasant. I mean, he gets in there to work that muscle. I've got a muscle that's impinging on a nerve, and so I've got some tingling. 
And he gets in there and he wants to stretch it. And then he, then he does this. <laughs> or, or the last time I was there, he's like, he's like pulling on my head and the whole weight of my body is pulling down. I mean, it's not pleasant. I want to tell you something spiritually. When you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to soften you, to massage you, to work you to the place where you're no longer rigid, it sometimes is going to be painful. I'll tell you what, it's worth it. Because when I, when I leave the chiropractor and that tingling is gone and he's shown me some exercises and some stretching and I'm working through it, it's worth it not to have my hand tingling 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Are you willing to ask him to do that in your life and to allow him to work you over so that you can be ready for the new wine, whatever God has? I remember Pastor Charles telling me this. He and his church have been praying for a move of God, just like we have at Columbus First Assembly. God sent revival. God used us. God used this church. They've been praying. They've been praying for a move of God. And I probably believe, just based on the story that he told me, that they're expecting God was going to move in that Assembly of God church in West Lafayette the way he had moved back in the 1950s or the 1940s or even back into the 1900s. They were wondering how God was going to move. No one in their wildest imaginations would have thought that the move of God would start with four drunk hippies on a Sunday night service who come in drunk, walk out saved and sober and spirit baptized. No one would have thought that. But that was the beginning. But the church had been praying. What's God going to do with our prayers? And then as God started to move, they had to work through all of that. As I'm going to wind this down, I'm going to bring us to the last point. It's on the second side of your note sheet. Because Jesus says something that's very interesting. And I'll give you the point, and then we'll go to Jesus' words. God will not force anyone to receive his new wine. God will not force anyone to receive his new wine. He will, however, lovingly pass over them. Think, what do you mean? Pass over me. I don't want God to pass over me. Look what Jesus said in verse 31. Th verse 39. I'm going to read it from the New Living and the New International. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Probably more literal translation of the Greek is this. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. The old is better. Personally, I don't hear criticism in Jesus, just a statement of fact. Those of us that have tasted old wine and we have those memories, that was good. Those were good times. I don't know, have you ever been around church folks and say, oh, do you remember? Those were good times. Yeah, they were. But I want to tell you something about old wine. In this culture, they didn't save vintages in bottles for 150 years so that they could experience the 1894 Merlot or whatever those things would be. They drank it from year to year. If some carried over, that was great. But at some point, the old wine is gone. You can only drink old wine so far because it's gone. God doesn't continue to reproduce the old wine. He's ready to send new wine. The old goes and the new comes. The only question for you and I is, 
will we allow him to make us ready to receive it? Or will we say, the old is better? Um, and while I don't see criticism in Jesus, I see it as a statement of fact, I wonder if there's not a challenge in this statement to all of us. Wow. Maybe I, maybe I need to move on. Maybe I need to move forward. Maybe I need to listen to some of these young people that are saying this. Because see, one of the reasons I think that God moves in new ways, this is just me. God moves in new ways because our culture changes. The way that God moved in the 1940s was so appropriate for that culture. The way God moved in the days of Billy Graham in the massive stadium events was so appropriate for that culture of the 50s, the 60s, and into the 70s. The way God moved in the 1970s onto the 80s through what was called the charismatic renewal was very appropriate to that culture. Some of you, I'm using terms, you're not even sure what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. I'm talking mostly to those people that are old enough to remember. But the way God wants to move in 2021 is very possibly going to be different than any of those things. Still trying to reach, remember, the fruit of revival, souls saved, lives set free, families restored, people filled with the Holy Spirit, people uh, exercising spiritual gifts, manifestations of, of the Spirit and through um, uh, healings and through miracles and through words of knowledge and words of wisdom, the discerning of spirits, possibly prophetic words. All of those things are with us throughout the ages. They just show up in different ways. In Azusa Street, they showed up on, in California as people got together and prayed all night in West Lafayette, they showed up in the living room of someone's home as people were eating coffee cake and drinking coffee. I don't know how he's going to do it today. My, my, my point, what I'm trying to achieve, and as a team makes their way to the platform, is that will we be willing to be passed over? I hope not. Because Jesus and his graciousness, here's the thing. He said new wine cannot be put in an old wineskin. It'll destroy it. Jesus will not lose the wineskin, nor will he lose the wine. He will just say, mm, can't use that one. I don't ever want him to come and look at Rick, Pastor Rick, Dad, Granddad, who are, you know, I have a lot of titles right now. Look at me and say, mm, can't use that one. Not ready for the new wine. And if I poured it on him, it would destroy him. What about you? Is God looking at you and saying, yeah, I can use that one. Ooh, that one's ready. I got that one ready. That one needs a little bit more of this massaging. That one needs a little bit more soaking. Because he won't. Out of his love and his graciousness, he will not put new wine into a rigid wineskin. The wine is lost and the wineskin is destroyed. He will pass over. Sometimes God has to pass over the places, the churches, the denominations, or the people he has used in the past because they have become rigid. Pastor Charles and his church let go of the past. 
they allow God to make them new wineskins and to receive the new wine. But I know from personal experience and from talking to those who have been in the assemblies a lot longer than I have that other assemblies of God churches in that time were not willing to become new when God was moving in the 1970s and they were passed over. Some even became resistant. Pastor Hackett, as I said, told me of the resistance he received from other ministers and churches. So to close, this is the prayer that I submitted last week that I'm asking us to pray. It's in your note sheet so you could take this prayer home and pray it. It's the prayer that I wrote for myself. And I've been praying, Lord, I humbly submit myself to you. Do whatever is needed to my heart and my life to make me soft, flexible, fresh, and not rigid that I may be able to receive new wine. That's what I'm praying. And then for our church, Lord, I humbly submit this church to you. We can do this as a congregation. We're submitting our church. Lord, I humbly submit this church to you. Do whatever is needed to make us soft, flexible, fresh, and not rigid that we may be able to receive new wine. By your heads, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Speak to each of us. I believe that everybody here and everybody listening to my voice electronically is, is probably in a place where they're saying, yes, I, I, I want to be able to receive this new wine. I want to be refreshed and restored and renewed if I'm rigid in any way. And for some, Lord God, they're new. They're not rigid. May they not be afraid of the new wine. May they be willing to receive it. Jesus' name I pray. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.